Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I am actually not here with Bishop Todd. Uh, This is maybe the first podcast where uh, Bishop Todd has been uh, unable to attend. Uh, We are recording on the day of a huge ice storm (laughs) in Nashville, and uh, it's actually snowing as we record. It's snowing pretty heavily here in Indianapolis. Uh, We're going to talk with uh, Tisha Hadra today. We'll introduce her in just a little bit. Um, But I wanted to just, uh, by way of announcements, um, commend to you listeners again that C4SO continues to celebrate Black History Month. Uh, There's Visio Divina with uh, the artwork of Laura James, and that's available on the blog. We're also praying collects from Cole Arthur Riley's Black Liturgies Project. We'll pray one of her prayers uh, to end our podcast today. Those are available on C4SO's social media accounts. And there's uh, all kinds of opportunities to invest in Black-led churches, as well as a reparations project that we actually talked about last week. Um, Last week's podcast with Danny Bryant was about repentance and racism and reparations. So if you didn't catch that one, I would encourage you to listen to it. It was a very engaging conversation. Um, for for me to be part of. Um, And today we're starting a new series that's going to follow our C4SO Reads book for Lent, which is called Prophetic Lament by Soong Chan Ra. And um, this is something that our Revelation 7-9 Task Force for Racial Diversity and Inclusion has organized for our diocese um, and, of course, anyone else who wants to follow along. Uh, And one of the task force's 2021 goals was a a more holistic participation in God's vision for racial justice. And uh, the reason we're reading this book uh, toward that goal is that a crucial step in this process for our more holistic participation in racial justice is lament, as we recognize what we have done and left undone, as our prayer of confession says, to the detriment of this vision. So, our churches are not well-versed in the language of lament, that's something we'll talk about today, and have too often sought after power and influence instead, and so we are hopeful that Lent and reading this book together can carve out some space for us to learn a new way and uh, gain an imaginative guide uh, for this journey. So, today we want to start that journey with a conversation with the Reverend Tisha Hadra, a member of the Revelation 7-9 Task Force, who's going to be sharing some reflections from the first part of this book, a section called Lamentations 1. Tisha, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I'm, I'm so excited about our conversation. And even in the where I am in New Orleans, we're also dealing with this, uh, I don't know what they call it, this polar vortex. And so it's... Yeah. Uh, Are they still calling it that? I, I haven't paid too much attention, but I remember there was a few years ago, there were polar... Vortices. Is that the plural? I don't know. There <laughs> was a polar right. vortex of some kind uh, yeah. coming through, so maybe that's happening again. All I know is that I have uh, Caribbean blood, and I'm a Florida girl living in New Orleans, and so I'm on the struggle bus in the polar vortex. That's, if that's yeah. still what we're calling it, I don't know, but uh, okay. it's Okay, well, it's, 
it seems to fit uh, what I'm seeing outside my window uh, as well. So this podcast will release uh, a week from when all this is happening. And so we'll uh, we'll see what the weather's like, I guess, when it releases. Perfect. Um, so maybe uh, just by way of introduction, uh, Tisha, why don't you introduce yourself uh, a little bit to us, just who you are, your family. Um, you mentioned you live in New Orleans, but what's your context there? What do you, what do you find yourself getting up to? Yeah, so I... Um I'm now serving as a chaplain at University Medical Center here in New Orleans. And okay. that is what's called a level one trauma center, which means that mm. the most serious and, and major traumas in the Gulf region come to wow. our hospital. And so I mm. am ministering to patients and staff and um, it is amazing and painful and beautiful and, uh, you know, all wow. mixed yeah. into one almost every day. I imagine. And so wow. that's what I'm up to currently. Yeah. Yes. And so well, my, oh yeah. So my husband and I uh, moved here just in September, and so we've oh, also this experienced is fairly recent then. yeah okay. relocation in the middle of, of a pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> there's and where that. were you before that? Before that, we were living in uh, Pasadena in Los Angeles, and I was serving okay. as the executive pastor at Church of the Resurrection over there oh, yeah. in LA, another one of our okay. C4SO churches. So very good. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that's great. I'm, I'm sure I'm, uh, I'm fairly sure <laughs> I, I don't want to put you on the spot, um, because I don't know for sure, but I'm fairly sure that some of your work, I imagine, um, intersects with this topic of lament, um, especially if you're working at a trauma center. And so I'm looking forward to hearing some of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, this first section of the book is called Lamentations 1, and it starts with this call to lament. It gives an, uh, some historical overview of, of the book of Lamentations, um, the biblical genre of lament, and then uh, walks through the first chapter of Lamentations. And all throughout the book, Ra kind of brings together uh, what's happening in ancient Jerusalem that's causing this book uh, to be uh, written and reflected on, and then brings it into the context of the American church. And um, I just wondered, uh, Tisha, if you could walk us through some of your reflections uh, as you read through this first section of the book. Absolutely. I was, I think, particularly struck by Ra's sort of central and foundational argument that the American church, and I think he means part of the American church or sure. parts of the American church, right? We don't want to paint with too broad a brush, even as we do paint with a somewhat broad brush, um, that parts of the American church have a focus on triumphalism, on Mm -hmm. celebration, on power and sort of positivity in a way that has prevented many Christians from embracing pain and lament, particularly in the area of racism, race, and racial justice. Yes. And I think even as some folks read that, right, there might be mm-hmm. some resistance to even yes. that idea. Um, yeah. And yet, uh, there's something very human about the observation that we prefer comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We prefer that which is easy, easier for us. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I serve in in a level one trauma center in a hospital, okay? So I see my fair share of suffering and even death and dying, all of that. Mm. And I see fairly regularly people's resistance 
to wading into the pain of their present experiences. It's in sort of that person who says, um, oh, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm God's got it. I'm doing okay, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. doing okay. Yeah. Uh, some people even just leave the room, right? It's too much. Mm. It's too much. Mm. And so there is a need, I think, to sort of uh, notice that yeah. thing that is actually in all of us in some senses yeah. that prefers that which is comfortable. And then to see the ways that that preference can have an especially uh, uh, sinister result Hmm. when it comes to the issue of race and racism, because it is blinding, because it is numbing for us. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot there, um, Tisha. I I think uh, one of the things I'm hearing you say that's, that's important here is just just like uh, it's important to face these things, right? To face our resistance. But I hear a lot of empathy and compassion in the midst of that as well, because I I think some of the shame we feel around um, these issues has to do with the fact that um, well, it probably has to do with a lot of a lot of different things. But it but it has to do with the fact that we think um, at least I I've sensed this that. Like my resistance to, or my desire not to listen to conversations about racism anymore, or whatever, um, that that's like a, it's a bad thing, you know that that it shouldn't be in me or whatever. Um, and so I'm hearing a lot of uh, compassion though in your remark to say like, well, it's natural for us to seek out that which is comfortable. And so when something uncomfortable happens in a trauma center or you know a new awareness, which is you know I think over the past um, few months, you know, uh, over the past year or so, there has been this new awareness of racism and the, and the history of, of racism in this country and all, all of those kinds of issues. Um, but there is this, uh, I think, compassionate start to that to say, it's natural to want to resist that. It's natural to want to go back to um, something that's more comfortable, but it's important that we don't listen to that impulse, right? It's important to notice it and then to do something different than just deflect. I think that's exactly right. I'm I'm reminded in this moment of in, during in the Ash Wednesday liturgy, right? One of the things that uh, that we confess is of for our blindness yeah. to human need and suffering and our indifferences to injustice and mm. cruelty, and we say, "Lord, have mercy." And yes. then the people say, "For we have sinned against you." Excuse mm. me, but that wouldn't be in the liturgy if it didn't speak to something that was within us, is something that was real and human. Lent yeah. is my favorite season of the in the church calendar. <laughs> P.S. And by the way, because of because of the ways that it, it speaks to something so true and real, and it, it connects for me in this very visceral way with like my own human experience, with my own experience as a Christian. Um, and so, yeah, so that that line in the, the Ash Wednesday liturgy, I think, is a, a recognition of yeah. that blindness to need and suffering, but also a crying out to God for God's mercy in that. Like, make yeah. us not like yes. that. Help us to mm-hmm. see God. Yeah. Help us to not be blind to human need and suffering. Yeah. Help us to not be indifferent to injustice and yeah. to cruelty. And so it's that extra step, like you were saying, to um, embrace transformation. Mm-hmm. And I think what Ra is saying is that the one of the a means of that is lament. 
Yes. A means of transformation in the face of this sort of noticing and this recognition that comfort is our preference. How mm. can we see? How can we no longer be blind? How can we no longer be indifferent? It is through that practice of lament. Yeah. Yeah, Ra contrasts, um, when he, in that call to lament, he contrasts the, the temptations, right, of um, what, uh, there's two temptations that he lists in, that, I think, one of those first chapters, where the first temptation for the exiles, and I think for us in the face of some of these things, is to withdraw, right? right? right. And then the other temptation is to um, return to idolatrous ways. Um, can, can, can you give us an overview of, like, what does Ra mean by that? And then... Um, how do those maybe how do those temptations manifest themselves in us specifically as it come when it comes to these this conversation about racism? Yeah, I think in the in that section, Ra is really looking at um, the overall experience of the people in exile, and he even has some important references to Jeremiah um, mm-hmm. and and some of those important verses in saying like. This is the these are the ways that 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 humans because remember I mean the people of Israel these are human beings I mean we're sort of called constantly to relate to them because yeah. <laughs> we can so often <laughs> um, yeah. and I uh, says listen in the face of you know you have found yourself in this strange place mm-hmm. and the the tendency is to withdraw from the place to say we just need to like either stay to ourselves or try to leave or to latch on to um, uh, idols. I think, I think Ra is talking there about some about uh, false prophets and people who sort of have the quick and easy, the quick fixes, right? Yep. The people yep. with the quick fixes. And for us, I think that can look like to go back to uh, the hospital uh, mm-hmm. uh, picture, that metaphor that we were kind of talking about earlier. The withdrawal is like the person who just leaves the room. Yeah. And says it's too yeah. much. Yeah. In conversations about race and racism, I think it's the person who says, I'm just out. I can't yeah. I, I can't wade into this conversation anymore. There's it's too big, it's too hard. I don't even know what 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 to do with it or what to do about it. Or maybe it's even people that say, This is not even the, within the purview of the church. Yeah. What does the church even have to right. say or do with any of this? There's like you know? a spiritual withdrawal, right? Which, yes. which makes it really tempting because it sounds so, Pious. I just want to focus on Jesus. That's right. You know? Like, I, I, let's just focus on the gospel. That's like, right. why do we have to focus, you know, like, let's, let's get back to kind of this individualistic, just me and Jesus, you know, like, like, why do we need to talk about this stuff? So that's a, that's a manifestation of withdrawal. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you 100%. And I think the other side of that is the, the quick fixes, right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the sort of, um, I don't know, maybe that could look like even the can't we all just get along? Yeah, totally. You know, uh, yeah. or, or colorblindness that yeah. falls into that color. category. Yeah. I don't see color. These yeah. ways in which we sort of seek to put a Band-Aid over a gaping wound yeah. is, is to uh, get in, in bed with or to sort of seek to, to get on board with quick fixes and I think false prophets and things like that that yeah. Ra is, is talking about there. Hmm. And, and it's almost like as we say that, you don't even need to say much more about why that's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't <laughs> feels, so far, you know. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. It feels yeah. sort of obvious. I think, 
I am. I even think about people who say, um, and I've heard this time and time again. Oh, it's divisive to even yep. have a mere conversation mm-hmm. about race and racism. Well, that is divisive, and I've always found that very strange because as I think about like like think about a marriage for example mm-hmm. if there were some breach in trust within a marriage no marriage counselor no pastor worth their salt is going to advise that couple hey you know how you can really repair this relationship you should just not talk about it that's really <laughs> that's the being stuff. divisive yeah uh, no one's gonna yeah. believe that and yet, and yet, that is the very kind of quick fix, mm-hmm. right? The very kind of, or, or maybe that falls into the category of withdrawal. I, I'm not sure which category it falls best in, but yeah. whatever category of insufficiency, yeah. um, it, that I think fits within that as yeah. well. Yeah, and I, I would even extend the metaphor a little bit because, you know, in the one of the things that... Um, one of the things about racism in this country is it's not it's not just an, a couple that's in an argument, right? Right? It's not just prejudice. It's not just oh, can't we all just get along? Right. It has to do with power, right? right. And so it's it's more like the, you know I, I think a metaphor would be one spouse is abusing the other one mm-hmm. for a long period of time, exercising power over this person, and then you know the answer is just like well to talk about that. To, you know, to say like, hey, can we talk about the fact that I've been being abused for 20 years is like, well, that's being divisive, you know, like what God has brought together, <laughs> you know, no, yeah. um, you know th- that it's the same kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah I think you're exactly right. I, I also sort of even think about um, the ways that our definition and perception of, of racism have been uh, woefully insufficient and in and of themselves mm-hmm. reflect an effort to withdraw yeah. or to see quick fixes, you know, yes. the ways that people sort of only define racism in individual and interpersonal yep. terms yes. and talk mostly about um, what's in one's heart and things yep. of that nature while ignoring the systemic and structural manifestations of this history, this long history of racism that that has existed and, and exists in our country. Mm. And so I think that there is also this need to update or revise some of our definitions. And I think that yeah. even sticking with that more individual definition reflects still that desire for comfort and that triumphalism and that desire for celebration, you know, not mm-hmm. wanting to really look at the uh, pervasive nature of yeah. racism and the ways that it's sort of embedded in, in every sphere of life. Because look, if it's, if it's everywhere, then there's some, then perhaps there's something to do about it. If it just is yeah. in, in between people, well, there's nothing to be done about that. You know, Yeah. besides, Hey, you know, just you know, a little bit more spiritual formation, maybe, or right. just a maybe little you bit should more, pray you know, about love that. Jesus a little bit harder, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey everyone, it is time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for Trinity Eastside Parish in Decatur, Georgia, which is led by uh, the Reverend Matthew Brown. 
And he has joined us today to share briefly about what's going on and how we can pray specifically for them. Matthew, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, what's one thing that you're encouraged by right now uh, as you think about Trinity Eastside? So if you if you've uh, read the cycle, you already know, but we're in the process of actually graduating um, out of <laughs> Trinity to become our own Anglican church. So six years ago, we were planted as a parish, and for years, Trinity has referred to itself as one church meeting in multiple locations. Mm -hmm. um, but after some discernment with uh, Reverend Chris McDaniel and myself, we feel like it's actually we're at the place in our development where we're ready to essentially like move out of mom and dad's house and set yeah. out on our own. So we're Wonderful. celebrating that we on Pentecost Sunday, so May 23rd, we will become a manual Anglican church. Um, and it's been very encouraging, the response from the, the people and the alignment on my staff team uh, around this. It's just been a very, very encouraging season for us. That is really encouraging. I appreciate hearing about that. Um, what's the challenge that you guys are facing right now that you'd like to let us know about? Um, well, I mean, uh, the amount of work, the <laughs> legally, administratively, financially uh, going on behind the scenes, uh, we're hiring some new staff. So we're going through hiring processes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work, but I think probably the biggest challenge has been pastoring our people through the transition. There's just yeah. been so much unwanted change in the last mm -hmm. year that there's kind of like change fatigue yeah. and this desire for things to remain a little bit um, predictable. And this obviously feels like change. And so um, probably that's the, that's been the biggest challenge for us is just all the pastoral um, work, you know, going to just walk our people through this. Yeah. Yeah, how, in light of uh, all of this stuff, how can we be praying for you and for Trinity Eastside in this season? Um, well, I mean, we're we're in the middle of what we're calling the 100 days of prayer. We're counting down to mm. May 23rd. And so um, okay. just praying for Emmanuel would be really meaningful as you just pray that we would be a blessing to our neighborhood. Um, mm. Please also, if you could pray for our vestry. We don't have a vestry. We're forming it. And so mm. it's such an important it part is, of yeah. the culture of our church. And so we... Yeah. Just pray for the right leaders to um, emerge out of the process, and yes. uh, that God would establish us to be here for the, the, you know, for the long haul in our neighborhood to be a blessing to our city. Wonderful. So, wisdom and discernment for leadership and for mission presence in the neighborhood sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Matthew. It's great to have Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here, Ben. Thank you. Listeners, if you'd like to find out more about um, Trinity Eastside Parish, soon to be Emmanuel Anglican Church, um, or to contribute to their work, you can check out the link in the show notes. So instead of withdrawing, um, you know, uh, which is that one temptation or, or returning to idolatrous practices, uh, which is the other um, temptation. We have to learn, like Ross says, to lament, right. which is a way into this transformation, as you were saying before. Um, and, you know, Ra talks about this as a funeral dirge where um, like our, our inability to deal with racism is is eff effectively like people are refusing to attend the funeral. They're refusing to honor the, the cries of pain uh, from people who um, know that something has died, right? Um, and so, he, and he gets into, you know, talking about like confessing the sins of the church, 
you know, for us today, confessing the sins of our ancestors, you know, confessing the sins that the church has committed as it regards um, racism and, and race uh, in the history of this country. Um, and so, the, you know, we talked about this earlier, but some say, well, you know, we're beyond all that now, or things are better now, or I, you know, I don't, I don't have any hate in my heart and I never did any of those things. And so I don't know if you could comment just a little bit on like the power of, and the necessity of, um, churches to identify with kind of what our ancestors have done in the faith and repent of those sins, like on a corporate level. I don't know if you have any uh, comments about why that's important instead of covering our ears when these sins are described for us. Yeah, I love when when Ross says um, he 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 writes something like some it, it's akin to refusing to look at the dead body in the room, right? Or to pretend yeah. as though the dead body is not there at the funeral. Mm-hmm. And if someone were to do that in a funeral, we would surely think that uh, they were uh, uh, had a mental uh, problem. Yeah, you know, right. uh, that's right. what we would think. Yeah, and. So he does, I think, issue this call to a corporate um, seeing of the Mm. dead body in the room, Um, this corporate effort to tell the truth about what has happened, because in doing that, it's it's like, okay, once the truth is told and, and, and accepted and believed, then perhaps we can begin from there and, and move from there. But apart yeah. from that, apart from that, then all of the, any work is like coming out of rotten soil. Uh, and I don't know yes. what kind of fruit can be born out of that. Yeah. And so I think this is a place where the church can play a very unique role. Um, As I even think back to, we were talking about the Ash Wednesday liturgy, the ways that 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 liturgy says our, for our blindness, Mm. for our indifference. It does not say I. Mm. And so there is something very much a part of our own tradition that is a part of our own Anglican spirituality that gives us the tools for the church to say, we have been blind. We have been indifferent to these things. Lord, have mercy on us. Yes. It also strikes me, Tisha, that, um, that in so doing, it's not just historically that we're identifying with the sins of the, of the historical church, but we're actually then, uh, identifying with those who suffer now right? because of racism, right? Because there, there are people alive, if we'll listen to them, who are telling us that this, this is still alive and well, and I suffer in these ways because of it. And I think this is, you know, Ra talks about this in the book of just being able to connect emotionally with, with that pain and with that, you know, he says, lament must be felt. It can't right. just be acknowledged. We have to actually feel the the shame that comes on us, um, maybe when we hear about these things, but um, feeling it and moving toward those who are suffering is also like a connecting move right. uh, that, that we make uh, when, when we lament. 
Yeah, I think, you know, proximity to suffering is insufficient, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm. Raw is really calling us to so much more than proximity is calling us to sort of get yeah. into and bathe in the tears of others. Yeah. And I, I was in this... Um, this meeting recently on Zoom as we, you know, sort of that's like what we do now, I guess. What's Zoom? I yeah, know. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, Ben. To all um, too familiar. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this person on the on the uh, on the call said, you know, something I've been thinking about lately is or a question that has been really uh, stirring my thinking lately is if Jesus were um, alive and, and with us today, where would he live and who hmm. would he hang out with? Hmm. And I think that's a really interesting question in the context of what we're talking about here, because I think if the New Testament has anything to say about it, that Jesus would be near the suffering and not just in proximity to, right? Jesus would be engaging, hmm. engaging with the suffering. Um, yeah. And I think that that is just so key for us to remember as Jesus followers that Jesus wasn't just someone who got like near to the suffering, but Jesus entered in and, and wept with those yes. who suffer. Yes. Jesus himself suffered gravely, gravely uh, on our behalf and of course yeah. ultimately died for us. Yeah. And so there is something that should stir within us in as we choose not just proximity to suffering, but real identification and deep lament with those who suffer, um, that that is sort of us becoming Christ-like. That is yeah. us growing deeper in our walk with Jesus as we seek to um, uh, engage and really feel that suffering of others. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that uh, reminds me of a Willard quote, a lot of things remind me of Willard. He was pretty formative for me, Dallas Willard. But um, he, you know, he said, Jesus died on the cross, not so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus died on the cross so that we could join him there. Mm. And he's not, you know, he's not making a super fine theological point there, but it just reminds, you know, Jesus' call is to follow him. Right. To take up your cross. I'm going to the cross. You come with. And so there is this like identification. Part of our formation, I think, is following in the way of Jesus, which is to identify with the suffering, um, to, um, to, you know, to dive right into it. You know, you see this in the baptism and obviously, um, uh, with Jesus on the cross as well. So. Absolutely. And I think there's something so, um, uh, beautiful and amazing about the, the black American experience that's even seen in the spirituality of, of, um, of, of African-Americans. I, I, I'm reminded yes. especially of, um, even in this moment of the, um, the Black National Anthem. If you aren't familiar with that uh, song, you should, you should check it out. What, what is amazing about that song is that it reflects a kind of um, realness and rawness about uh, despair hmm. and weariness and challenge right alongside hope hmm. and expectation and victory hmm. one of the one of the verses is um sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us sing hmm. a song full of the hope that the present has brought us 
facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. And so I, there is so much I think to learn from the black church, from the historical ways that that the black community has operated within this country about what it is to suffer. Yes about what it is to be near to the brokenhearted yes. and how, what it is to do that in ways that still hold on to hope and expectation and still mm-hmm. name that God is in charge yeah. and that the sun is going to rise yeah. again and shine upon us. So, mm. yeah, I think there's That's a lot beautiful. there as well. I'm going to I'm put that, uh, I'll find a recording of that and Ooh, put, a, uh, put a link in the show notes uh, for everyone. I've, I've not heard of that and um, I'm grateful that... Um, you mentioned it, um, and that I, I think that that's a great place for us to maybe begin to wrap this up because um, one of the things I appreciated about this uh, first section of the book was that um, I think one of the one of our fears about lament is that we're going to get lost in sadness, we're going to get lost in despair, but actually, what you find on as you dare to enter into it, like as you just said, what you find is comfort and hope actually on the other side of lament. And I, I, I agree, we had um, you know, Esau McCulley, one of our canon theologians, on the podcast a while back, and he talked about his book, Reading While Black, which is all about this, right? The African-American spiritual biblical, interp- uh, biblical interpretation tradition, um, which has such gifts to offer right. um, those of, I mean, white Christians, you know, people who didn't grow up with that tradition who aren't able to see those things in the scriptures, right? And so, um, uh, anyway, any final words that you have about how lament connects with hope and comfort? Absolutely. Um, I, the, the, the main way that, that lament connects with hope is because of who you are talking to. Mm-hmm. It is because it is not grumbling. It mm. is not complaining. Uh, Ross says, lament is honesty. Lament is honesty before God and before one another. Mm -hmm. And so when we bring these, our pain and our Mm. suffering before God who hears us, Mm. who knows suffering, a God who is himself crucified, who Mm. has suffered, it is to say that, God, you are in charge. Mm. And God, I trust you with this. Yeah. I am at a loss, but God, I trust you with this. That is lament. That yeah. is lament. And so as we engage with that level of honesty before God, it deepens, it deepens, I think, our love for God and our sense of God's sovereignty and power over our lives, hmm. which we need yes. to remember yes. every day. Yes. Every day. And that is me every bit preaching to myself and not, yeah. not saying yeah. that because I've got it perfect and figured out. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, can f- end with this final question. Um, maybe folks who are listening um, will give some information about being part of the, um, the, the reading club uh, if you'd like to be. It's not too late. I will give some information about that as well. But um, maybe for folks who are listening, maybe they're pastors of C4SO churches or members of C4SO churches. Um, can you give any guidance, like what's, what's a good first step into some of these things? Maybe somebody recognizes like, oh yeah, I tend to deflect these conversations or I just don't want to listen. Um, or 
I really would like to foment some of these conversations, but I don't know how to, you know, I don't really know how to talk to other people about this. Um, I don't know. What, what would you say? Like, uh, what would be a couple practical ways into dealing uh, with reality um, and stepping into lament for people? Well, I mean, one obvious one is certainly to read uh, prophetic lament yes. along along yes. with us. But even as you are engaging with that book, it I think it requires. Um, like an openness, right? A, yeah. a kind of awareness or an openness to mm-hmm. God's working in us yes. to be transformed uh, into a people who can see. I think mm. that is sort of the mm. the ultimate um, prayer. So one, I think, which I realize it's a little bit um, not as tangible in a sense, but I think it's a prayerful openness. Yeah. to God's transformation and work in us. Yeah. And another thing is to engage with the Psalms. Hmm. The Psalms are full, full, full of lament. And of course, the reading through the Psalms is a part of our, our tradition as well. Yeah. If, if yeah. Uh, our listeners are people who engage in morning and evening and perhaps even midday, prayer if they're really good Anglicans. Um, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> um, maybe even compliment. Right. Oh, yeah. boy. Now we're getting really fancy. Um, but yeah, so so to sort of engage those practices, but with an eye toward um, the particular problems of our day. Yeah. So don't allow them to just be sort of like abstract reading or I'm just going to like read through this, but to bring your attention your intention may be a better word, your intention as you pray to the problem of racism in our mm. nation. What would happen? Mm. Yeah. What would happen if you brought your intention to that in prayer yeah. um, as you read through the Psalms? That's great. I love that. So reading through the Psalms, allowing them to be um, uh, an expression, not just of like personally, oh, I don't resonate with this, but allowing them to speak to you about um, maybe the experience uh, of Jesus Christ as he identifies with the suffering, right? Absolutely. Um, and then also just to pay attention. I, I heard in your, um, what was the phrase you used? Pr- prayerful attention. I can't remember what it was mm-hmm. exactly. Intention, I think. Prayerful yeah. intention, that kind of thing. But um, I'm hearing in that just to like just the simple act of paying attention to even just the discomfort you feel. So instead of just trying quickly to stop feeling uncomfortable, just notice that you feel uncomfortable and that you don't want to. Just Absolutely. notice that. Just yeah. step back and notice that and see where that takes you. And I love the the, the specific things that even our diocese is doing that you yes. mentioned at the top, right? Like mm-hmm. these very intentional ways of putting your money where your mouth is, of mm. um, and you know supporting uh, black artists, of you know doing these yes. different things. I think those things are so so important. Mm. And my hope is that we can attend also to the ways that we are being formed into people who go about the work of justice, who see yes. the need for justice, yes. who see the need for um, attending to people's uh, suffering. Yeah. I think it's both. And so I think as a as a, a pastor, as a chaplain, right, it's sort of the, the formation piece that, that I'm particularly uh, interested in. Wonderful. 
that's great. Um, well, thank you for uh, spending this time with us, Tisha. Thank you so this much been, for having me. This has me. been really great, really illuminating. Yeah. Um, if you would like to participate with it, if you're not participating yet, you it's not too late. You can you can catch up. I believe in you. Um, you can gather a group <laughs> or you can read alone. Um, I'll put links to all this in the show notes, but um, you can purchase the book from InterVarsity Press. There's a coupon code that we have that gets you 40% off. Uh, there's a Facebook group you can join if you'd like. Um, we'll put a link to that. Um, and then each Wednesday during Lent, there's a short video reflection that's going to be posted in the C4SO Reads Facebook group from a member of the Revelation 7-9 Task Force, Tisha's video. Tisha's video um, I found it online. It's already up. Um, well, it was up uh, as of this recording, so it's, uh, it's probably a week old now. Um, and so you can uh, navigate uh, to that video and find Tisha's reflection there. And then there's going to be a diocesan-wide Zoom call with the task force on Wednesday, March 24th at 7 p.m. Central Time to kind of wrap up uh, the book, which uh, obviously all of these things are optional, but if you'd like to participate with us, that's how to do so. Um, our reading schedule means that next week we're going to talk through the section on Lamentations 2 with Sandra Richter, with this chapters four through seven. And I thought maybe we could end um, our time by praying Cole Arthur Riley's, um, one of her prayers from her Black Liturgies project. Can we do that together, Tisha? I, that sounds wonderful. That sounds All right. like perfection. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Mm. Shelter God, help us to trust the promise there are times it feels like our present reality will always be. It becomes difficult to dream. Our imaginations for healing and health are far too small. Expand them, God, that we might grow the branches of hope into something we can cling on to without them buckling under the weight of our next tragedy. Let our dreaming be our rest a shade from the heat of the evils of this world, that our alienation and oppression would not resign us to the wilderness. Be who you say you are. If you are a stronghold, then keep them marginalized within the walls of your chest. If you are a destroyer of the veil, come and let it fall from the eyes of those who do injustice and make death. And protect our dreaming Lord, that as we wait for you, our hope would not be tarnished by our tears, but renewed. Sacred glints of light in the darkness. Amen. 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 Thanks again, Protect Tisha. Our, uh, thank you for having me. Protect our dreaming. I yes. love that. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Well, thanks again. And um, I hope to have you on the podcast again sometime. We can, uh, we'll see what the next topic is, but this Anytime. was fun. This was fun. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. All right. Peace. again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.